You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! Hi guys, welcome to the show. It's episode number 41. We've been gone quite a while, actually. You've had to wait an extra week. So, uh, here we are. Way too long, yeah. Today I'm joined by Just Leon. Hello. And I have returned from my holiday. I've been on holiday uh, for two weeks. And the previous episode to this was released in my absence. And then there's been a week in between because... I've had a huge comics, to, uh, massive, huge stack of comics to catch up on, and obviously I've got to read something before I can talk to you guys about it, right? So we have uh, a fair few comics to get through today, and yeah, what have you been up to these past three weeks, Leon? Who knows, man? Who knows? Just like just... it's been a, it's it's been a mix of survival, eating, socializing. I can't remember what the last movie I saw in the cinema was. I think last I spoke about on the cast was The Incredibles. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's, it's been moons. It feels like it's been moons since you went and came back, <laughs> let alone... Um, <laughs> well, I've only been I've back been a week, but yeah. yeah <laughs> been... Even then. Yeah. Wait, has it been a whole week? Yeah, a week and three days. God. Yeah. Where does the time go? I know. Just... It feels like it does feel like eons since we've put a cast out. I know it's not. I know it's literally only been three weeks since the last release, but it does feel like eons. Like it, it feel it. The extra week actually feels like a month. It feels like three years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like forever since I've sat here and spoke to you guys. Um, Back through the wilderness, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of wilderness, while I was on holiday, I like. Because I've got like a a sort of an archive of older comics uh, in digital form that I've sort of like purchased and things and stuff that are I haven't necessarily got. I mean, I've got some Swamp Thing as books, but stuff I haven't necessarily got as books, which I can take on holiday with me on my tablet because I don't like taking my books on holiday because I'm super OCD and everything I have is like dust free and plastic and... And the thing I'm is, really protective of my comics. <laughs> you wouldn't even. It's not even worrying about what happens on the other side. Yeah, it's airport security. Yeah, if they don't steal it. They'll they'll rough it up. I know. I know. I just look at the way suitcases are treated, and I just wince, imagining <laughs> what might happen. <laughs> it's like no, not my comics. So no, I I don't take my books with me i have digital copies for that event which i guess is like one of the um the upsides of digital the fact that you can take your comics collection with you without risking its safety so i've been reading the alan moore swamp thing comics uh while i was on holiday and this is like the alan moore run that tends to get all the the love and attention critically lauded and everything else and yeah it's one. It one hundred percent deserves everything everyone says about it. This is not the first time I've I've read these comics. These these comics are like favorites of mine. This is like I love Swamp Thing. So this is probably where a lot of my Swamp Thing love comes from. And there's some really great issues like in this run. Like this run is just 
if you want to read horror comics and you you know this this is this is where you go man this is this is great great stuff like this is absolute gold this room you've got like um other characters turning up from the dc mythos there's a there's a, a comic where there's a there's a whole book where uh the demon etrigan turns up um and crosses paths with swamp thing and swamp thing and the demon kind of work together to take down a common foe you've got this really really like unsettling autopsy comic where we sort of like see a lesser dc villain brought back and made into this kind of like super vicious monster uh the floronic man oh i've i've heard of that yeah he he's um he kind of like represents that he's like in this, he's kind of like an evil Swamp Thing, but he's like a um, one of, one of the villains in the DC world that kind of has dominion over plants or has plant-based powers. And uh, this 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 whole comic where Swamp Thing is supposedly dead, and they are performing an autopsy on his frozen body at the request of the head of some kind of like science corporation that wants to use whatever they find for some purpose or other maybe selling the research for weapons i can't remember the exacts but i know that he employs the floronic man to do the um to do the autopsy and the the bit that sticks with me about this book is is this this like autopsy where he's like pulling swamp thing apart and describing the parts and and this is where swamp thing is reinvented as rather than being alec holland swamp thing is alec holland's consciousness transferred into a plant body because, like, up until then, up until that point, the assumption had been, in, in when you read a Swamp Thing comic, that it's Alec Holland inside, well, Alec Holland's body fused with, with the swamp inside some kind of, like, swamp shell. And he still has human functions, but when they do this autopsy, it's like, no, he's, this is a plant thinking it's a human. It has lungs, but it doesn't need the lungs, you know? It's it's weird and it's so cool and it's like that it's, sounds freaky. Yeah, it is. It's so freaky and I sat there and read it um, one dark night while I was on holiday, and it was brilliant. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, um, it's on my Alan Moore list of shame. Um, yeah, the things you've I've never always, read. Yeah, I've always yeah. heard um, good things. I've heard it's uh, amongst his best work, but I've just never got around to reading it. I mean, the art in this run is fantastic as well. Like everything, everything about this this run of comics is absolutely brilliant. I recommend it to anyone. They are all available digitally. I've got them digitally. They're available collected into um, volumes as well. I think there's six volumes. But yeah, I fully recommend those books. Um, Saga of the Swamp Thing. Yeah, that's the title of yeah Saga of the Swamp Thing. But yeah, no, they are brilliant and they are like. 100% worth your time and money. So, yeah, get on those. That was my holiday reading. Since I came back, there's been a Dungeons & Dragons campaign that I've been part of that has been running for two years, and we made it to the end. Which is not... Which is... I guess that, that doesn't sound as big as it actually is, but it's not something that a lot of people manage to achieve. You know, if you ever look at um, various pages on the internet there's a section of reddit called rpg horror stories and you know there's all these other places where it's it's like the the 
the assumption or the norm for a Dungeons and Dragons campaign is you start, you roll characters, everyone gets really invested, and then it just fizzles out after a while for one reason or another. And nobody ever gets to the end of like a... I mean, people complete modules, people complete um, pre-written D&D stuff, but nobody... It's like a rare thing for somebody to get to the end of something that, that someone else has written. So I've been part of this campaign as a player and one of my other friends had written this whole original campaign where it was kind of present day. So so Dungeons and Dragons, but with present day technology. So we were okay. walking around with mobile phones and things like that. And it was this whole like industrial espionage thing going on and it was brilliant. Like the whole story start to finish was great. And it had been running for two years and we made it to the end and we beat the final boss. And like, you know, it it took everything we had. Like we died and we were resurrected by our cleric character and things like that, which is, it was really cool. And it was, it just something that I just wanted to mention because I just felt like it was an achievement to actually make it to the end (laughs) of a Dungeons Dragons campaign. It sounds like it. I, I yeah. never realised that was the case with um, like own written ones that people don't often finish them. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be the thing. Like from 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 a lot of stuff I hear. I mean, there's probably people out there that probably turn up and uh, probably hold their hand up now and say, "Oh, well, you know, I've I've finished pre-written campaigns. I've written campaigns that people have finished." And yeah, it's because you've got a, a good group of people. You have to have a good group of people to do that. You have to have a committed group of people. Otherwise, you just never get to the end. But yeah, to make it to the end felt great. And it's like, you know, when you, that feeling you get when, I mean, playing this game, I've probably spent a hundred hours in character at least. So um, it's akin to playing a JRPG, you know? Yeah. Because like we can, we can have like whole sessions on a Saturday and sessions can last six hours. And like, sometimes you can do six hours and you can make massive progress sometimes you can do six hours and spend four of those six hours arguing about how you're going to infiltrate building x is that what what delays it in general i don't i don't think it's as much it's to do with um you know character like as it what do you mean by delaying it as in i mean more in the sense of is that what um will balloon the time from saying Oh, this is is likely a twenty-hour campaign, and then it ending up being like a hundred and fifty-hour campaign. Yeah, it, it's it's um, making your own side quests, going off on tangents, things like that. Because the D, the D, the dungeon master might write something and expect you to take something one way, but then you, as a group of characters, might decide to go to the other direction, and it's the push and pull. So the DM can't can't railroad you too much. So they have to then think on their feet and they have to change how things work so that it still fits what they've got written, but also gives you the freedom as the character to enjoy the world they've put you in. Yeah. And that, that can balloon the time when you start going off on tangents and taking branching off into different directions and things like that. Like we, we spent a whole lot of time in, um, a, on a plane called the Feywild, which wasn't originally part of the story. We weren't meant to spend so much time there. But because we showed an interest in it, you know, we had several sessions where we were just in the Feywild. And that's that was the DM being a really good DM and just giving us that because we wanted it because we showed such an interest in it, you know. Yeah. And it was really good of him to do that. And he really was 
a spot on DM. I mean, I've I've tried to DM in my time. I say try because I've not come close to what this guy has managed to do. It's brilliant. Yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to running a game now after this for the same group, uh, which will be based around the Ghostbusters. So it's going to be in the same sort of setting, the modern day D&D setting that this guy had. And I'm going to continue with everything as his campaign left it. So, but but what we're going to be is we're going to be a group of Ghostbusters in the D&D world. So D&D Ghostbusters. We're called the Spectre Quashers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is this is my thing now. So I've I've managed to rework a few spells and stuff so that we can have like Ghostbusting equipment that uses traditional spells so it doesn't break the rules and things like that. So it's going to be it's going to be quite cool and uh, we'll see how that goes. This sounds like the very Greg ass thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so Greg. It's the most Greg thing I've ever done. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. I'm looking forward to running it. I really am. And yeah, um I guess the other big the last big thing that I have to mention is the return of the Fantastic 4. I don't know if you have taken a look at this yet leon i have not right so uh what we have here is fantastic four number one it's back yes fantastic four august the 8th i think it was that the fantastic four returned which was last ncbd so, so for like listeners who have no idea where the hell did the fantastic four go it happened about three years ago and the book was cancelled after the events of think it was the secret wars and sue and reed were presumed dead so it was during the 2015 secret wars storyline that we we sort of lost the fantastic four they were split reed and sue and uh, their children were presumed were presumed dead johnny and ben carried on and we've had the marvel two-in-one book which has been the adventures of johnny and ben trying to reunite with sue and reed and it was really quite sort of a melancholy thing when you were reading it because ben was keeping the truth from johnny to try and give him hope and everything else and they're losing their powers because when the fantastic four are separated it turns out that their powers weaken and they were yeah they were returning to normal and ben and johnny well ben has been left a gadget well the multisect it's called which allows them to travel between different places in the multiverse uh, it was created by reed richards and it was left so that when he was gone it, whoever of his family was left could continue exploring the multiverse and he left it to ben grimm and ben has it and ben knows that sue and reed are dead in well in in marvel 2 and 1 ben knows that sue and reed are dead and he hasn't told johnny they're dead he just told johnny they're lost in the multiverse and he turns up with this multi-sect and he's like hey why don't we you know go on one last adventure and try and find them so things happen they're on they go on an adventure they have they're accompanied by um a new character this new character's name is Rachna Cole, and um she seems to specialize in superpowers and um helping to return powers to people or give people powers um so they team up with her 
and they team up with Doctor Doom as well, who is now some kind of like begrudging anti-hero type character because he's wearing an Iron Man suit and he's trying to be good. So he's like reluctant hero type thing. Like he doesn't want to be a good person, but he reluctantly does the right thing from time to time now. Um, They made him him Vegeta. Kind of. (laughs) Like he's worse than Vegeta though. He's a bit, he's a bit more reluctant than Vegeta is, but yeah, they made him Vegeta. So (laughs) you've got, he is actually, if you think about it, he's the Vegeta, the Vegeta to the Vegeta, the Vegeta to Reed Richards' um, Goku, I guess, because they constantly, but it's intellect instead of strength. Yeah. So he helps them as well now, and they go on this adventure across the multiverse, and things happen, and um, their adventure in Marvel Twin One hasn't exactly come to a proper ending yet, but. We've already had Fantastic Four number one, where they're back in the pro- in the world as we know it, back in the original Earth that they came from. And Reed and Sue are out there and seem to have found a way back, um, which is where we're left at the end of uh, Fantastic Four number one. And yeah, it's been three years since we've seen the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four are, like, the flagship Marvel family, so it's nice to see them back where they belong. It's nice to see them back in print and to have more adventures with all four of them. Yeah, and I'm just happy they're back, and it's cool to see them back. It's cool to see these classic Kirby characters getting the love they deserve again, which, yeah, it's it's been long overdue, and, uh, yeah... It's the world's greatest comic magazine. <laughs> so do you know um, how long it's meant to run? I don't. Um, I don't know if uh, it's going to be a limited series. I certainly hope not. I'd love it to carry on. I'd, I'd love to, you know, love a lot of people to get in on the ground floor with the Fantastic Four again. Because this is, this is what this will be. Because, you know, it's like a total reset type thing, I reckon. So, yeah. Mm. It's going to be cool. Yeah, and that's about it for my three weeks between casts. So that covers everything. And it's time we got on to the uh, comics that we have read in preparation for this one to review. So a lot of these things dropped while I was on holiday. In fact, yeah, they all kind of dropped while I was on holiday. The first one I shall talk about will be X-Men Grand Design. So this is now the second part of Ed Pisker's kind of masterwork. So this is X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis number one. So this now picks up where the previous Grand Design comics that we've talked about on the cast left off. And uh, it's a continuation of the amazing work that this man is doing. Like this one man condensing down, I don't know how many years of comics into, you know, like these, these volumes and, you know, managing to keep it all there, managing to tie it all together, you know, all the inconsistencies and everything else. And, and, you know, things that are revealed later in the X-Men line, uh, he's managing to put it all together and, you know, make sure that it all makes sense and everything and, and edit this down in, into, into these, I mean, granted they're larger than normal comics, but still, you know, like these volumes that he's producing, 
are absolutely fantastic and yeah i can't fault the work to be honest and uh this one second genesis um deals with it starts where the x-men comics went on to a sort of hiatus it's where it was cancelled in 1970 with issue 66 and then comes back again uh, you know it was reprints until um number 93 so up to 1975 x-men was just reprints and then it came back again as all new all different x-men and that's what this deals with at the beginning of the book and we've also got the dark phoenix saga in here as well um and in this book alone we've got 10 years of x-men history plus extra parts from later reveals condensed chronologically and all through the eyes of the watcher um i love the style of this book and this kind of quasi retro aesthetic that it has going on. Um, we've talked about this previously before. This is Ed Pisker's masterwork. And I think when the whole thing's finished, it will be something that like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but it will be something that can take pride of place on your shelf for sure. Nice uh, hardback omnibus edition of this. I reckon. What do you think Leon? Yeah, I definitely agree and concur with um your thoughts and feelings on it. It's like I was saying um, in in the episode where we reviewed the first part is it's remarkable how this absolute powerhouse, uh, this more than human, this uncanny X-Man himself is able to, to do this and to to keep it so authentic and to to respect the source material so well that there you can tell there's not only a love but a, a deep understanding of what the original writers and artists were doing um with their particular stories and I guess editors as well and by taking this approach he's able to seed uh, things that come later a lot more organically than how they ended up happening in the comics where it was all retcons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, you could argue this whole thing is a retcon, but um, it's really nice, tidy, condensed history, which is very good for people who are either not aware at all or have like absorbed a lot of things via osmosis. So you you might have heard about Dark Phoenix, you might have heard about the Hellfire Club, um like M, M, Cran, M. Cran Crystal. Yeah. The Macron, like have... M. Cran or Macron, how do you say it? Um I would say Macron. Cron, but now it sounds like the uh, French Prime Minister. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, I think a lot of people were exposed to X-Men, if not via comics, I think the biggest way was the cartoon. Mm. And the way how watching cartoons are when you're a kid is that you're going to... I mean, that show was ahead of its time in the way that it was heavily saga-focused, so it, it paid a lot of attention to narrative arcs and in, instead of like just adapting a comic per episode, instead they adapted arcs per season 
Um, and despite the limitations of being a, a children's cartoon program, I think they did an all right, decent job at, at, at covering the the broad strokes of some of these great um, comic book arcs. Mm, yeah. And I think a lot of people, you would have tuned in, you might have seen episodes one, four, seven, eight, um, and like missed a lot of bits in between and not really understood but instead you just have a whole idea of like, oh, I remember there was this woman of weird hair. I think she was a Shia or whatever. And you don't fully know. And I think what this um, and the, the the previous book do are confidently bring this together in a way that it doesn't just feel like um, the new school sort of taking a sort of douchebaggy stance um, of like, yeah, in, in the future we, we're we way more enlightened and we get more things about science and society and blah, blah, but you don't really get that tone. Instead, you get someone who has the, um, the luck of having like hindsight and is able to see the whole breadth of the work and then be able to find ways to efficiently get the the main the main points and of each each of these stories and arcs and present them in a way that is quite appealing yeah i mean mean, what what i love about this is the fact it's through the eyes of the watcher and the one of the best things about this particular book this particular one uh second genesis number one is the way that he deals with the hiatus at the start of the book. Like the team's period of inactivity. I yeah. thought that was I thought that was brilliant how he did that. And then how he dealt with the uh, the Phoenix like rebuilding everything after it was all destroyed by the Omicron crystal. Something that probably in the original comics is very messy and confusing. Yeah, like, it's yeah. done quite elegantly here and it's it still it still kicks quite um still has quite a big impact in the task that they all need to go through for that to happen. Yeah. It's way less confusing and muddy. Yeah. Like he takes, I, I, I'm looking forward to what he does with latter X-Men books because he takes a lot of things that there are points where when you're reading comics and you get so deep in that you can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. And you probably need something like this as, as a guide, as a timeline, as a, a chronicling of everything. I wish I wish we could have these, not just for X-Men, but for like most comic characters actually. I think that would be a really yeah. good idea. It would be nice. Um, it would be. It really would be. Yeah, because it's it's a really good way. I mean it's a good way for people to get in on the ground floor. And it's a really good way for um like you said, people who have been fans of the cartoon and things to be able to tie things together. And it's just a just a refresher as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a really a really great piece of work, and you can tell there's a lot of love there, like you said. And it's Ed Pisker's mutant power seems to be his ability to summarize and explain such a sprawling saga effectively, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, because uh, I think like this is possible dicey territory for me because I'm a big Chris Claremont fan and the stuff covered in here covers a lot of 
his arcs. Oh, no, I love but... Claremont. I'm not saying I don't like Claremont. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like, it, it's dicey territory because it's like, oh, uh, no, you could, like, lose a lot of the heart and soul by doing it in this method. But I, I, I don't think that's the case. And I think what this book's good for, or at least in how I respond to it, is that it's a nice primer and refresher but then it also makes me want to go back and read things like um, Dark, the Dark Phoenix Saga. So I think it works twofold. And, and a lot of that is down to Pisca's reverence of the, of the past and what's come before. Yeah. But not being slavishly devoted mm. to it. Yeah. And that is, that is what's, what's really, really cool about the way that he's done things. The fact that, like he was saying, he he shows respect for what has come before and he clearly grew up reading these books. Like there's no other way to explain the way that he's managed to keep the soul in there and do what he's done. Like, cause he's managed to, he's managed to keep it, keep it intact and at the same time condense it down into something amazing like this that obviously gives you like a primer and and a summary of what's happened. And, yeah, I, I I find myself eyeing my shelf looking at my Dark Phoenix trade and things like that after reading it. I'm not going to lie, yeah. definitely. Um, I love the, the, some of the panel work in this book, especially as well. Like, um, as I mentioned before, the, the point where the universe is destroyed and then recreated, um, the panel work there, when he lays that out, is brilliant. And we get that whole blank page with just the word bink in the middle of it or whatever. Yeah. And that's just fantastic. Um, that's like my one of my favorite points in the comic. That and the beginning where he sort of waves away the um, the period of inactivity. Yeah, blink on a blank yeah. page. I'm just flicking through it now as I'm talking, and I do love off of that um, that bink and when they have the plan of what to do, and they, yeah. that shot of them all holding hands is oh so good. You know how people say listening to vinyl, it, you get like a warmer sound and everything else. Yeah. So I guess listening to vinyl would be like reading old comics because reading old comics, you get this feel of a whole other age from it. And it's just something special and something, something that preserves, I guess the, uh, the thoughts and feelings of that time of that period in time. And this, this is like listening. It's like listening to vinyl, a vinyl of something that you already have on CD. And then yeah. listening to it again for the very first time on vinyl and realizing, shit, I missed all that, you know. There's an extra, like, texture to it. Yeah. Like an analog type feel. Yeah. Definitely. It's really amazing piece of work. It's funny, though, because we shouldn't be surprised about this because this is the man who condensed 15 years of hip-hop history into four volumes, so it shouldn't be surprising that he would try to go uh, bigger and and further by condensing like 50 years of history of the X-Men. He's human Winzip. (laughs) That's what he is. I I will say, um, if you're a person who, I mean, by the nature of this being like the Watcher, if you're a person who hates um, like, 
boxes of uh, exposition and not characters talking, then this might not be the comic for you. Because <laughs> by nature of how it's done, you, you've got a lot of boxes of exposition. A ton of narration. But you know yeah. what? I, I don't... I don't. I only dislike that when it gets in the way of the comic itself. With this, the whole point of this book is it is being narrated by the Watcher. So the whole point of this is the narration. But if if we were to have a book where there was plenty of dialogue um, and it was things happening in the moment rather than things being recalled by a character so what we're looking at here is memories we're we're, you know we're in past tense um if we had a book that was displaying things that are supposed to be present and current and happening and there's a ton of narration in the background as well as what's actually happening in the panel so someone's telling me what's happening in the panel i can see what's happening in the panel and then people in the panel are talking about what's happening as it's happening um, and that's that's just over over custoding the pudding, I guess, and that's when it starts to get irritating. Yeah, I would I would agree, and that's yeah. why I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, in this. that's that's where the difference is. So I think, I mean, yeah. I think in a way, um, it serves the story better doing this way because I think mm. it would be it would be a you'd get whiplash going this fast through these storylines without the context of someone um, reading back on this. So I think exactly. it works really well. Exactly. So that is X-Men Grand Design, Second Genesis number one, and that is entirely by Ed Pisker. Someone get him a scholarship at Xavier's. <laughs> um, so we're moving on from there to something um, that I've picked up which you're not going to be surprised when you hear the title of this. <laughs> this is called Bebop and Rocksteady Hit the Road. Now, what this is, is um, the sequel to Bebop and Rocksteady Destroy Everything, which is where Bebop and Rocksteady go back... In, they, they they get it. They go... They go on a time travel adventure and it's like Bill and Ted from hell. It's the only way to describe it. They destroy everything. Uh, things end up out of timelines and in places where they don't belong. And it's just, it, they, they leave a mess and they wind up in Central America with a dinosaur. A pet dinosaur. Okay. And that's where we leave them. But it's a pet dinosaur they don't want. They don't necessarily like this dinosaur. It's just there. Because they kind of brought it back with them by accident. Don't Who know. doesn't want a pet dinosaur? Beaver from Rocksteady, man. They're just... They are literally the embodiment of chaos and anarchy. Like, they don't care. They're not necessarily malicious on purpose all the time. They're just too stupid to know otherwise sometimes. You kind of feel sorry for them. Uh, <laughs> but... But yeah, they they, they end up with this dinosaur and kind of they just know how to be bad. Like, they've got no... um, I don't know. I don't know how to to describe their lack of... uh, It's so difficult because they're not necessarily bad people. They just do bad things because they don't think things through 
and they don't ever regret anything either, you know? Are you saying they've got no chill? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely no chill, (laughs) no guilt switch, nothing. You know, they are constantly doing exactly what they want to do, whatever they want to do. They don't, occasionally they, 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 they start to stop and think like, wait, we've been bad guys for so long. What if we just tried being good? You know, like they do in these comics. So this is dealing with their road trip, trying to get back to New York. So they're in Central America and they're traveling up from Central America, trying to make their way back to New York. In the first book, they, on their way back up, they cause a lot of trouble. They lock heads with another mutant called Wingnut. Uh, two mutants, in fact. Two mutants as one. Uh, Wingnut and Screwloose. Uh, who's a mutant batfly he's well he's he's a mutant bat yeah so initially thought he's a mutant but he's actually an alien uh so what what um basically what happened is in bebop and rocksteady destroy everything in issue three of that bebop and rocksteady go back to the year 2012 and they destroy the stock gem building and they end up uh, freeing Wingnut and Screwloose in the process. And those guys wind up in the present day in the middle of um, Central America, like um, Mexico type area. And uh, yeah, they're just causing trouble by feeding on livestock and people. Um, they refer to anything that contains blood as a food bag because Wingnut is a vampire bat. And, uh, or, you know. And um, Screwloose is supposedly a bat fly, um, but is like attached to Wingnut's head. Uh, so they're kind of like symbiotic. And this book is genius because it starts off with those two driving a convertible bebop and rocksteady and then all of a sudden they slam the brakes and the convertible tips over and it's because bebop has noticed that rocksteady's ear has turned back human (laughs) what (laughs) yeah so his ear um like has turned back human because they're losing their powers they're they're losing their mute they're losing their mutantness i guess the mutagen's wearing off They're, they're becoming human again um, so they notice the ear and Rocksteady, not being one to ever think things through, just, just takes out his combat knife and lops his ear off and throws it into the desert and the dinosaur chases it and eats it. And that's where this book opens. So <laughs> that sets the precedent for it. And um, this this book, it, because they're traveling through like a desert area, this book's kind of got this whole like fear and loathing thing about it because uh, they're in backcountry, right? Coming up against Wingnut. So... <laughs> Um, it's pretty awesome the way this all plays out. And, uh, by the end of this book, they're looking more and more human in book two, which we're on now. They are dealing with the fact that they, through the course of the book, become entirely human and they decide that. So in, in the first book, they decide they're going to try and be heroes and it doesn't work out too well. They're also being hunted by the EPF, the earth protection force at the same time. So they've got like the military on them or this like secret, like, four levels above military military unit thing upon on them uh in this second book they're trying to be normal people and hold down jobs which doesn't work out 
because they've turned back into normal people. Still hunted by the Earth Protection Force who still think they're mutants. And uh, I'm just waiting for what issue three holds, really, because this thing is just insane. It sounds so. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just just brilliant start to finish. Um, the art is fun and punchy and energetic and there's some it's really energetic in its panel layouts as well like it's it's fast it's furious we've got like um a lot of uh use of onomatopoeia and hand-drawn words and things like that in panels and it's just it's just beautiful um a lot of uh thick fast black lines punchy colors and yeah it's start to finish it's just adrenaline like Everything about it is just adrenaline, and it's great for an great for an action comic, and it's such a fun comic to read, like especially because of that artwork. And um, I might as well mention that the next comic on our list that we're going to talk about is Leviathan, and the artist from Leviathan uh, is actually the cover artist for this, and has done cover art for um, previous TMNT sort of events. It's uh, Nick Patara. He's done work for TMNT IDW Comics before. So he's done cover. Work. He's doing cover work on this, on uh, Bebop and Rocksteady Hit the Road. Um, he's also done covers for the Dimension X event, uh, which we talked about here. And he's done covers for Bebop and Rocksteady Destroy Everything. Uh, I and... thought um, his art looked familiar from um, when you've spoken about um, these and linked the artwork. I was thinking, this looks so familiar. Yeah, and these these are all linking to get linked together covers as well. So these uh, Bebop and Rocksteady Hit the Road covers, like you lay them out side by side, and they all link up to make one big picture. Ah, cool. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's just this book is just absolutely insane, and it's another TMNT book, and it's brilliant. And yeah, I just love the way that they come to terms with the drop in power. And they're like trying to like rem- like oh that didn't used to hurt but it hurts now kind of thing you know like my arm didn't used to break like that but I guess now it does you know when they're fighting and stuff and it's just great because they're just complete idiots they're just like total boneheads and I love it so yeah that is uh, Bebop and Rocksteady hit the road uh, list of credits for this one we have story by Ben Bates and Dustin Weaver script by Dustin Weaver art by Ben Bates colors by Brittany Peer. Letters by Sean Lee, editor Bobby Kerno, and publisher Ted Adams. And that is for Beaver Rocksteady number two. For number one, yeah, it's entirely the same team. I'm just double checking that I make sure I get everything right. Um, the cover artist uh, in both cases that I have is uh, Nick Patara, which is the cover A. Um, there are um, alternate covers available. You've got covers by Ben Bates, uh, by Corey Smith and Brittany Peer. Uh, and there are Kevin Eastman covers as well. But I want the I want the interconnecting covers because they're just so much cooler. Um, TM uh, Beer Rocks Day Hit the Road number two has alternate covers by Dustin Weaver and uh, Ulysses Farinas. So yeah, Beer Rocks Day Hit the Road, another great event for my buddy mutant boneheads, my two favourites. Um, I guess. Um, I would like to hang out with Beowulf and Rocksteady one day if they were real. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I think I think they're like a more like a, a version of Mikey with less chill. Like they yeah. just really do not care like about anything. You guys would be getting arrested. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> you would get arrested if you hung out with those guys for sure. They like they wake up in the morning and they're already like on it completely and it's just not good. <laughs> so yeah, that's people from Rocksteady. And the last comic on our list, I think, Leon, is another one we both yeah. read. And this is Leviathan, which I've already mentioned because guess what? The artist for this book, Nick Patara, is the cover artist from Team uh, Beaver from Rocksteady Hit the Road, which is what we already mentioned. So um, I was already on board with this book, knowing that this guy was on art because his art's fantastic on these covers. He, he you know, like he he's one of these guys that packs in a lot of detail. Um, yeah, he's yeah, he's one of these guys that has shades of James Stocko and Jeff Darrow about his art and his style with the yeah. way that he packs in a lot of detail and a lot of a lot of what I call grunge and um and crust. You know, like when you when you see these drawings, these these beautiful pieces of comic art where there's like lots of little intricate pieces piled up like um like big like a, a big massive tower of scrap metal or something, you know, that kind of stuff. Like these guys these three guys are like the kings of this kind of artwork i guess um and yeah this is this is what um this is this is what i love about this comic about leviathan it's the fact that it's just it's just so full of detail and it's hyper detailed it's in your face and it's just a giant monster comic that absolutely pulls no punches that's the best way to describe it um in simple terms a guy throws a party, realises that he's running out of booze, goes on a booze run while he's gone. People get bored at his party. Um, some uh, metalhead goth weirdo who invited himself to the party pulls out um, some kind of Ouija board thing and summons the Leviathan, this big red kaiju beast thing that decides it's gonna it just goes on a rampage and just tears the city apart and it's it's brilliant it's just a giant monster comic that's just full of adrenaline and yeah i love it um it's uh yeah it's just just absolutely pulls no punches and it's got the double page spread to end all double page spreads um (laughs) which i'll come to in a moment because i want to ask you leon what you thought of this first yeah, I I really like this. I think this is a thing that um, I'm happy I went off your recommendation of just the name and didn't read up anything about it. Because I think if you told me, oh, it's a comic about like kaiju or whatever, not that I don't love that, but I would have thought like, eh, like there's a lot of giant monstery media. Is this going to be any different? But going into it blind and then spending a lot of time with the uh, lead character and his and his friend, um, and seeing like the connection between him and his girlfriend, I think that's that was a great setup. And as you're saying, like um, I feel like Nick Patara's art uh, complements John Layman's uh, words um, and plotting so well. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I think that all that all that build up um, 
works really well in sort of layering these characters in a small amount of pages because mm. one they're designed so cool where it's like um it's slightly exaggerated um and everything about all the character design and all the streets and to the kaiju itself as you mentioned before is so goddamn detailed but then uh like nick patara's like lines are just so good and they like just bring this tangible texture to to all of it and like you say they add a layer of crust to it but i think the thing that stops it being sort of grim is uh michael garland's colors that i think are just very uh vibrant and they um they like pop and contrast each other in a very compelling way where it's in ways like a cartoon um, and not not a cartoon in the traditional sense of like an animation on TV but like a cartoon in t- terms of like caricature and like a comedic tinge to the look and feel but it all feels very consistent and it nails its tone really well like when you you someone mentions a character called goth jimmy and then we meet <laughs> goth jimmy goth jimmy is what you expect goth jimmy to be when you hear and goth jimmy you see goth jimmy yeah when you Definitely. hear it you smell him yeah yeah <laughs> you know that scumbag um and i think hey, well, it's nailed so I well think, i think i just want to go back and say there's nothing scumbag about goths it's just goth jimmy is a scumbag <laughs> Yeah, not not Goffs, no, Goff Jimmy. <laughs> Goff Jimmy is a scumbag. Yeah, he is. And I think whether it be just setups um, or like uh, location shots or shots or like images, like them standing outside of the closed um, shop on the on the way trying to get beer, to um, the shots of like the portal or gateway unleashing the kaiju or uh when we get that that splash uh, of uh the kaiju ripping out it's like it's it's really gorgeous to look at but also it you're in this sort of hyper reality that i really like um so i, w- I was quite bought in and then i was like yeah i'm here for this goofiness and then we meet the president. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That was one of the things that I... Uh, that was one of the reasons I recommended it to you as well. Those pages with the president. And it, it it's just such... It just absolutely pulls no punches. And I love the way that this book deals with the president. Um, this, this caricature of President Trump. And they seem to spend like an entire... It's like a, the... They they spend a whole page, just sort of like, I don't know. Um, there's a couple of panels, and they give him like the largest panel on the page as well, just to show his. When when they show you his bedroom when he's sleeping with his teddy bear wearing the maga hat and like yeah yeah and you see the portrait of him in the background like naked with abs and stuff and just just like it's just his ego just just thrown up onto a page like his. You know, 
his president's like rancid ego just thrown up yeah. onto a page and it's just perfect the way they deal There's with lots it. I love of it. little details in the background yeah. i mean throughout the book there are but yeah. in those panels in particular, there's lots of little... Mm. Lots of little details, lots of little jokes, lots of little snide stabs at the president. And it's perfect. I love it. I love the fact there's going to be giant robots involved. Uh, <laughs> I love the fact that um, if you go back through the book as well, like some of the details in the background of uh, some of the pages, you mentioned when they were standing outside the shop. If you have a look yeah. um, on one of the panels below that, when you see one of the posters... It's Bebop chugging a glass of wine. Ah, oh, see, even I missed that one. Yeah, so there's like just little little things, just little things all over it, and it's like you said, it's this hyper reality where everything is caricaturized and brought out. Um, everything's wearing its personality on its sleeve, and it's perfect the way they do that. Like absolutely brilliant. Um, and some of these page layouts are fantastic as well. Like some of these page layouts, the panels aren't even split by traditional panel borders. Like the panels are split by the edge of the subject of the next panel. And I just think that's absolute genius. And like these, it gives you this like collage effect, but you can still follow it. You still know what's going on. You still know where to look first and you still know where to look next. And everything's just, uh, yeah, everything's just brilliant. And, um, I love the fact that the, um, this kind of has like a, a a sort of like when they when they when they're calling it the apocalypse, it kind of has like a biblical edge to it as well. Because like this, uh, there's this priest that's like kind of heavily involved in the story, and I think he's going to be in the next uh, next issue quite a bit. Yeah. But like the the fact that like you've got Leviathan from the Bible, haven't you? And yeah. he seems to be equating this thing to Leviathan from the Bible, and he seems to be equating it to the end of the world, and when you look at the face of this thing, you know, when you look at its eyebrows, its eye line in the top of its nose, it kind of looks like Donald Trump. <laughs> you notice that it's got yeah. that, it's got that about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this, this book is just brilliant for that. And the colors and the detail involved in the, in the artwork is just absolutely amazing. And these types of artists, these, these, uh, Nick Pataras, these Jeff Darrow's, these, James Stocko's of the world are perfectly suited to giant monster books. Definitely. And I love this book start to finish, like the expressions on people's faces, like the dumb slapstick expressions when stuff happens, when they get surprised, when they get hit, when it's just brilliant, all of it. And it's, it's dialed up to 11 and it's just, um, it's a big red kick in the teeth. It is a, punk spirit fueled by adrenaline and stained with beer that's what this comic has a punk spirit fueled by adrenaline and stained with beer and i love it i love every moment of it it's brilliant and i want more um i have one negative yeah go on not to do with the actual book yeah when the book finishes which is remarkably dark which i love (laughs) um the in the um like the creators and authors address us it opens up with what up homies and it's like man you lose a point for that <laughs> but uh, otherwise it's a, it's a great great issue yeah yeah no yeah it's good otherwise but yeah it's great it's a big red kick in the teeth and i love it um so that is leviathan number 1 and we have 
that was created Leviathan created by uh, Lehman and Patara written and lettered by John Lehman art by Nick Patara colours by Michael Garland so there you have it your three man team and uh, yeah everything about this is just absolutely fantastic and that double page spread I could frame that and have that on my wall that is just like such a beautiful work of art I'm not gonna um, I don't know how to describe it it is literally a scene of massive destruction of this thing tearing the city apart spitting fire and just just making a mess and I love it I love that picture yeah Leviathan number one so that brings us to the end of our list of comics this week so we're going to move on to the pool list um, now, last time I tried something new where I didn't read everything on my pull list, and today I'm going to do that something. I'm going to do that again because my pull list is always far too big. So this week, um, just a couple of things I've noticed: new number ones that are coming, um, and some things that obviously I'm looking forward to that are on my pull list. So we'll kick off with the fact that um, August fifteenth sees the release of Ice Cream Man number six. Um, now. Ice Cream Man's kind of a darling of this podcast now, I guess. I guess I can call it that, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, And we've got, um, with this one, uh, the tagline or the preview, the bit bit that you get is, uh, it's called Strange Neapolitan. And you get sometimes, without a word, your life splits into three. Now, from what I've heard about this book and, and what this is what people tend to be saying about it, like the, the buzz on the internet with other review sites and things like that, they are calling this book the um, Sliding Doors. Um, so the, the Ice Cream Man take on Sliding Doors, uh, where we see every which we see like different ways a scenario could go. Um and it's an absolutely horrifying version of sliding doors, but it's that kind. It's got that kind of format about it, where we see a story from you know that could have gone three different ways. We actually see it go three different ways in real time in the comic, which I'm really looking forward to. Sounds like quite a cool thing. Um, Next thing on my list, we've got Batman number 53, which is the continuation of the Mr. Freeze arc, which is Batman has brought in Mr. Freeze and Bruce Wayne is doing jury duty at Mr. Freeze's trial, but is doubting his own abilities as Batman and is therefore being that one guy creating a hung jury. Um, And it's like 12 Angry Men meets Batman. And it's absolutely bloody brilliant. Uh, I recommend that one to you, Leon, actually. That's just... You can you don't need to have read previous to understand what's happening. Um, you know there was a wedding about to happen. That's all you need to know. And yeah, uh, it starts cool. with Batman 51. So 51, 52, and 53. Um, we've got Gravedigger's Union number nine. Uh, one of the other things I noticed that was coming out... Uh, we've got Analog number five. Analog's a great book. Um, that's the book about uh, people smuggling things on paper because you can't trust the internet anymore because everyone has access to everything after the great data leak. Uh, that's quite an interesting book. Um, there's this book I came across called Crowded, which uh, is released on Image Comics. Um, again, 
same as uh, Ice Cream Man. I should probably mention the credits for Ice Cream Man as well. We've got uh, the writer W. Maxwell Prince, colorist Chris O'Halloran, uh, Martin Morazzo is the artist and cover artist, and uh, we have a variant cover by Christian Ward. So back onto Crowded, Crowded number one. Um, the preview reads, series premiere, 10 minutes into the future, the world runs on an economy of job shares and apps, including Reaper, spelled R-E-A-P-R, a crowdfunding platform to fund assassinations. Charlie Ellison leads a quiet, normal life until she's suddenly targeted by a million-dollar Reaper campaign. Hunted by all of Los Angeles, Charlie hires Vita, the lowest-rated bodyguard on the Defend app, spelled D-F-E-N-D. Uh, as the campaign kick picks up speed, they'll have to figure out who wants Charlie dead before the campaign's 30 days or their lives are over. From Eisner-nominated writer Christopher Sabila, um, Heartthrob, We I Come Back, Harley Quinn, and uh, Rose Stein and Ted Brandt uh, of Captain Marvel and Raven the Pirate Princess, and Triona Farrell, Runaways, Met Cadet You, and Cardinal Ray, Bingo Love, and Rose. Comparison titles... Um, if the near future implications of social media and technology in Saman and Corona's number one with a bullet had you on the edge of your seat, you'll love Crowded. So that's one to check out. Um, and the last one that I had that was a new one that I picked out, which sounded interesting, is a new Brian Michael Bendis book. Uh, this book is called Pearl. And this is on Brian Michael Bendis's sort of like own creator owned thing called Jinx World. Um, so it's a new Jinx World book. I gather there hasn't been a Jinx World book for a while. I'm not, I'm not kept up with this stuff. I'm not much of a, um, like I don't, Bendis doesn't feature in my, uh, my crosshairs an awful lot, um, in recent times. Uh, but, um, Pearl is the story of an exceptional tattoo artist and accidental assassin for one of those modern day San Francisco, um, Yakuza. She was born into one life, but Another is calling to her. When Pearl accidentally meets one of her peers, her doppelganger from another clan, she starts to dream of a better life. But Pearl has a very special ability that keeps pulling her back into the violent world she's desperate to escape. Uh, Pearl is a major series launch from writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Michael Gados that features their first brand new original character since Jessica Jones. Fans of the Jessica Jones comic and TV show will be thrilled and delighted by this bold new direction the creative team has taken. So that is writer, Brian Michael Bendis, artist, Michael Gados, and uh, we've got um, variant cover by Alex Maliev. So that is Pearl. Um, and that's my pull list. And that has been Ace Comicals number 41. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com. You can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro. All links are available on our website. Um, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, you can ask us questions on Twitter. You can DM us. You can ask Ace Comicals questions on Twitter via the DMs. Um, you can contact us at acecomicals at gmail.com if you want to write us an email. Um, you can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us on Kofi if you want to buy us a comic, if, uh, coffee even, sorry, if you're so inclined. Uh, all proceeds will go to the running of the site and keeping us up so you can hear us. And you can find Leon under at Leon Everett on Twitter, where you can find him sort of retweeting and talking about video games and comics and such forth. So, uh, that has been Ace Comicals number 41. Thanks for listening. Ace Comicals, over and out.